This is Howard Anderson, Managing Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking with Irene Koch, Executive Director of the Brooklyn Health Information Exchange. Thanks for joining us today, Irene. Thanks for having me. Please give us an update on the status of the HIE. Hospitals, home care agencies, nursing homes, insurers, and others are now participating, I believe. Uh, When did participants start sharing data? We are live with our health information exchange at BHIC. We have a bunch of um, hospitals and home care agencies, nursing homes, and payers now contributing data and starting to also access the data from the health information exchange. We went live initially in the fall of 2008 and um, now have an upgraded system that is uh, operational. What kinds of information are the participants sharing now, and what kind of transactions are on the horizon? At the current time, we have um, an assortment of clinical data that comes in from all these various different organizations, and it ranges from admission and discharge and transfer data from the registration systems to different kinds of clinical data like procedures, diagnoses, uh, healthcare advanced directive information, labs, and so forth. And so the actual focus of the data exchange currently has been on transferring this clinical information for viewing and historical purposes. But immediately on the horizon for us really is turning to the world of transactions to facilitate the kinds of referrals and exchanges of data that happen on a one-to-one basis when patients go from one place to the other. And those are the kinds of things like referrals and subscriptions and notifications that are on our immediate horizon. Can you give us a few uh, examples of how participants are using the exchange now? Sure. Um, Like I said, right now we're live with um, clinicians pulling data from a clinical portal sponsored by BHICS. So we have physicians who might be treating the patient in an emergency room, for an example, who um, need to get information on that patient because the patient may be comatose or unable to participate in their care, who may be able to do what's called a break the glass on the BHICS clinical portal for a one-time access to this patient's clinical information to treat them in the emergency, and we've gotten feedback from those clinicians that they've actually been able to get very valuable information on those patients through BHICS that they would never have known about otherwise to help care for that patient. And so uh, although the workflow of getting data from a clinical portal outside of one's own information system isn't ideal, we still are getting feedback that the data is very, very valuable. So when I referred to the workflow issue, what we're working on in test right now is having a physician from within his own uh, electronic medical record be able to push a button right from within that application to get the same exact data that I talked about to be fed right into their their system as a summary document. And um, we're about to be going live with that as well. So are you using encryption now to protect information being exchanged, or will that be added as you move to the transactional model in the months to come? There is currently encryption. It's just a different sort of encryption that happens when you're using the portal versus when you're exchanging data into an electronic medical record using these newer profiles. So right now we are um, doing encryption encryption of the data through VPN tunnels and so forth, and the data being retrieved from the system is accessed through uh, an encrypted process as well, but the different processes are used when you do these IAG 
um, profiles. How do you go about verifying the identities of those sending and receiving information? So again, it's a little bit of a different process from the two different ways of interacting that um, with the BHIC system that we just talked about. So currently, when data is being retrieved from the system through the BHIC portal, the user's identity is determined through two-factor authentication, their username and their password. And once the login is complete, their role and consent is evaluated to determine what activities that user can perform. But again, um, we're very much moving towards a world where that is not the only way to um, access data through BHICS. We're really moving towards being able to serve up the data to a user who identifies himself from within his or her own system. And so when you're using those interoperable electronic health records, the mechanism is a little bit different and uses uh, stuff like SAML assertions and um, TLS client certificates and stuff that um, the technical team has really spent a lot of time in our project and through statewide work defining. What is your policy for enabling patients to opt in or out of having their information exchanged? The policy that we have implemented here at BHICS is um, entirely consistent with the parallel universe of policy that's gone on through the entire New York State collaboration process. So we're completely in sync with what's going on on the statewide level. And what New York State has come to is um, we don't actually even refer to it as opt-in or opt-out because it's a little bit misleading. But what it really amounts to is that when a clinical provider wants to access a community-wide batch of data through a RIO, through a health information exchange governed by that RIO, since it's not just one provider's organization at a time, um, there needs to be an affirmative consent from the patient to be able to authorize that one user to access that information. So it's really called an affirmative consent model, and each patient is given the option to either grant each different provider organization consent to see their data, to access their data through BHICS, so that would be a grant consent, or they can give them the option to deny consent so that for that particular provider organization, they may not ever access data on that patient through BX, or there's that interim status until you know the answer of the patient or if the patient wants to just leave it that way, which is that only in an emergency situation may the provider access information through BX, and we just referred to that earlier when we talked about break the glass. So um, it's really an all-or-nothing consent of that patient. We don't uh, filter based on different types of data for this large amount of community-wide exchange. But I think that what I also referred to uh, earlier when we talked about these different types of transactions is that as we move from a more community-wide exchange of data to a more one-to-one or push type of model, there's going to be a lot more discretion on picking and choosing bits of data that one provider opts to send to another. And that's a sort of a whole different way of using a health information exchange to improve care. How do you plan to enable patients uh, who request it to get a list of who has gained access to their information via the exchange? So our privacy policies have uh, a lot of provisions about the participants that use BHICS so that they can engage with their patients to provide them the information that they need to to satisfy the patient's request for information. And so most of the 
enabling patients to get their data through BHICS is going to be happening through our provider organizations because they're the ones that really have the relationship with the patient. So if a patient uh, is at a hospital and requests a record from that hospital, we will work with that hospital who's a member of BHICS to help them amass a list of, of access points through BHICS to that patient's data. And that's really our model at this point. It sounds like you anticipate that your uh, exchange will be linking up with others throughout the state. What, what additional security issues does that raise? That's a great question. Yes, we very much anticipate that our health information exchange will link up with others throughout the state. And, of course, here in New York City right at the moment, there are a number of regional health information organizations that exist. And, frankly, we really are in the tri-state area, so even just thinking about the city alone really doesn't make too much sense. But you do have to start somewhere, and it's a, it's a real big um, population to have to accommodate. So, of course, we're going to need to link up with other uh, health information exchanges throughout the state and really even in other states because, you know, think of how patients come to New York City for travel and for business and for care. You know, you really, in order to really improve the care of these patients, need to get data from lots of different places. So it's not even just security issues that you need to address when you think about all of those interactions. It's the identification of the patients from different hubs and the identification of the users to make sure that the users here have proper access to access not just the data that was originally from BHICS, but from these other information organizations and exchanges as well. So uh, we're very actively participating in statewide work to start discussing those issues and with our colleagues across the state. Um, but that's, you know, it's definitely a work in progress and something that's requiring a lot of uh, effort for everyone to work on together. Finally, what advice on privacy and security issues would you give to other HIEs that are just in the formative stages based on your experience so far? It's absolutely central to everything that the Health Information Exchange does to be able to think of the privacy and security domains as they relate to every new function and technical feature that is deployed and to, to think of it as an afterthought is a real mistake. Um, I think one of the, the strengths of BHICS actually was that in every bit of technical build, we wove in not only the privacy and security uh, kind of perspective, but also the clinical perspective to make sure that they were all aligned uh, at the same time so that the technical folks don't build in a bubble. And, you know, I think that that's going to be essential for anyone going forward. I guess the other thing I would say going going forward is that as we think of the National Health Information Network that's really developing across you know, the country, we really need to make sure that the privacy and security issues that get resolved in each region, in each state, harmonize with one another so that we actually can effectuate the kind of exchange that we need to do across the country. Because uh, the worst thing that would happen would be that there would be bubbles and silos of, of places where you could exchange data but not really take it to the next level, which will really bring the most value. Thanks, Irene. We've been talking today with Irene Koch of the Brooklyn Health Information Exchange. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so much for listening.